And you've, you've kind of mentioned the idea of when we are, are not grieving well, we're leaking, you know, we're snarky or sarcastic or bitter. What's also true is when we are grieving well, we are moving forward. You know, that's yeah. one of the ways that you know, we can know that we're grieving well is we're moving towards, we're moving through, we're moving beyond. And so just the, the progression that grief gives us um, helps us to recognize that we can acknowledge the loss and we don't have to be defined by the loss. We don't have to be consumed by the loss. Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. We're happy to be with you today with our usual host, Dr. Greg Miller, and our very special guest, Greg's wife, Beth Miller. Uh, Beth is the author of this fine book, What Loss Can Teach Us. And today on our podcast, Beth and Greg are going to explore, you know, some of the powerful components and transformative elements uh, involved in loss. Greg, uh, Greg, Beth, great to see you both. Well, thank, thank you. you. And great it is here. you, Beth, even though we're not in the same place, I'm glad that we're able to do this. Me too. Yes. And as Randy indicated, we're going to be talking about loss today and specifically various kinds of loss. And for those who have been around the podcast, you probably heard me talk about the seminary professor who talked about Anytime there's grief, there's loss, and um, it's important for us to understand what that loss is. And the greater the loss, the greater the grief. And so that's kind of where some of this conversation has come from in identifying what are some of the losses that people experience. Hmm. Well, years ago, I was introduced to this idea of different kinds of loss from a mentor of mine. And so this list of 10 things that we're going to talk about today started with that, but I've been adding to it over the years as I've been um, either experiencing a different kind of loss myself, or um, there's a lot in this field now of people discussing this. And I think one of the reasons why um, we even wanted to do this podcast today is because this is so important for us to name various losses. Um, Of course, when a person dies, that is a huge loss. And we, we can validate that. We can see that we have experience with that in our culture. What's also true, though, is there are lots of different kinds of loss. And if we're not careful, we either miss validating those in ourselves or in someone else, or we minimize them. And we'll compare them to the loss of life, right? And say, well, at least it's not that. Or we'll compare it to someone else's loss and say, well, somebody else has it a lot worse. And then what ends up happening is we stuff the grief we feel about that loss and our bodies absorb it or it leaks out in, you know, multiple different kinds of sideways, you know, uh, snark or sarcasm or bitterness or passive aggressivism. I mean, there's all kinds of ways it leaks out. But what we're doing today is validating there's so many different kinds of loss that we can see in ourselves and be an empathetic witness for with other people. Now, one one of the things I, I talk to a lot of men about grief 
And for so many of them, it's like a foreign concept. They've read about it. They've heard about it. But as far as experiencing themselves, it's very distant from them. Mm -hmm. And so they often say, well, how do I even grieve? And I would say, well, the beginning is to acknowledge that loss. And so to have some categories that you can reflect on as you're evaluating some experiences that you've had, I think can be incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I couldn't agree more. And let's just go through this um these different 10 categories. If okay, that sounds perfect. Good. Sounds yeah. good. So the first one is, in fact, loss of life. And so this is um, losing a friend, losing a partner, losing a child, losing a, a parent, um, a host of different ways that this loss can affect us. But this is that maybe typical loss we think of when someone has died. And one of the things... Um, when I was a chaplain, we talked about a lot was that we are just very clear about the loss, that we use the language that says that someone has died. And we have so many other terms and phrases that we use that kind of uh, minimize it or reframe yeah. it. But to simply acknowledge the fact that when someone dies in our life, that that can be a significant loss. What can be complicated, though, is sometimes when someone dies, we are not just grieving the fact that they died, but depending on the nature of the relationship, we can also be grieving maybe the disappointment in who they were in our lives or how they showed up or didn't show up. And so we're, we're not just grieving their death, but we're also grieving the fact that with their death, we may never be able to have the kind of relationship that we would have wanted to have with them. Mm -hmm. Well, that segues right into the next one which is loss of relationship. So you're, you know, that's exactly right. Um, as someone has died, we may be grieving the kind of relationship we didn't have with them or we, we had always wanted to have with them. We can also grieve the loss of relationship in, uh, you know, with someone who is living. And so maybe that is through a divorce Maybe it's through a friendship that goes sideways. Um, maybe it is through family members that are estranged from one another. Maybe it's also um, the loss of relationship, not due to anyone's fault or conflict, but we, we move, we uh, you know get busy in our lives. Maybe we were close to someone in college or we raised our young children with a neighbor you know, who lived right next door, but then somebody moved across the country. Um, it's so important that we're validating where there was once a connection and it isn't that way any longer or at all. Um, maybe it's in varying degrees of loss, but it is still a loss when there was once a relationship that there isn't any longer. Uh, one, one of the things that you and I have talked about a lot is this idea that sometimes relationships are in a season and very much like what you've said, nobody's done anything wrong. There wasn't a big conflict. There wasn't kind of a, an intentional separation. It was simply that for a season, the relationship functioned, y'all were together, but that season has just come to an end. And many times, if it's a gradual process, um, we don't acknowledge the loss, but to be able to recognize if I don't have contact with that person or that family 
in the way that I once did, that that is going to represent a loss that I've experienced. Yeah. I'm going to age myself here, but years ago, um, I know you remember this artist, um, the Christian artist Wayne Watson Yes, wrote mm-hmm. a beautiful song named I'm Thankful for a Season in Your Path. And I remember listening to it kind of being blown away that he was naming exactly what you just said. And again, sometimes to no fault of anyone, um, things can, you know, we can go our different ways. I also want to acknowledge that sometimes there was conflict that didn't get resolved. Um, Someone felt so wounded and hurt or betrayed and, um, the, the people involved in the relationship don't feel like they can find their way forward. There's a host of reasons that we lose relationship here. When, but one other thing I would, I, name. I would identify is sometimes we have someone in our life and we begin to realize through our own journey that they are not a healthy presence yeah. and they don't honor boundaries and they are not safe. And so we choose to draw a boundary with them and limit our interaction with them. And it's important to recognize, even if I'm choosing the separation, and even if the separation is the wisest decision, there is still loss. And it is the loss over maybe what the relationship was at one point or what you would hope the relationship would be. And many times when we've made the decision, we dismiss our grief thinking, well, I chose this. So there's Either I don't have a right to grieve or there's not really grief with this. So even if you're choosing to separate, there is still grief that will come with that. And even if it is the wisest, healthiest thing to do. Yeah, that's, that is such a good point. There just are some relationships that for a variety of reasons are toxic. And it is the best of hard choices to go a different way, to bless that person and to step away. And, and like you said, that, even though you chose it, you know, it still means there's a loss there. Right. Does that lead to a slight sense of celebrating that loss when it's been somebody who's been toxic? I I don't know if I would say celebrating. I think it's naming this was a wise choice for me mm-hmm. and there is still the pain and of that relationship not being a part of our lives anymore. You know, and yet there's a, a relief thing. involved. That's there's the yeah. word that I was thinking. I think relief. Yeah. Relief yes, is really. a good word. That when yeah, when we have someone in our life that has been unhealthy and we finally start to create some boundaries in that relationship, I do think, Randy, you're right. There's a relief yeah. that comes with that. It's like a weight yeah. that you've been carrying that maybe you've not even been aware of. Yeah. Right. Well, another one on this list here is loss of dreams. And this might involve anything from um, dreaming of having a big family. And for whatever reason, maybe a person um, is a woman's unable to get pregnant um, or, you know, a host of reasons. There aren't multiple children that were imagined or dreamed of. Right. It could be something like um a person's always dreamed they would have a close relationship with their siblings, that they would have um, a real intimate connection with their spouse that has not thus yet proven to be true. Um, I think we saw a lot of this kind of loss in the pandemic. 
People had dreamed about weddings forever. People had imagined that when a loved one died, there would be hundreds of people at a funeral um, that for some did not happen at the height of the pandemic, you know? Um, Again, this loss of dreams is one of the easier places that we dismiss the pain of the loss. You know, of course, depends on what it is. Some are more obviously um, grievous than others. But this is a place where it's so important to validate and see ourselves or see in other people. That's a real loss. I I would add also um, for people who had a dream of owning their own business or um, going back to school or being able to um, move forward in their career. Um, There could be creative dreams, you know, um, things that you would hope could be realized. And for a variety of different reasons, they just didn't come about. And, you know, again, maybe nobody did anything wrong. It's just that there were some circumstances working against you that just didn't allow it to happen. Um, And this is one of those places to acknowledge one of the ways that we dismiss our grief is we try to rationalize it and we try to kind of talk ourselves out of it with a, well, that makes sense, or, you know, that just happened, or, you know, nobody was responsible for this. But it doesn't serve us to try to rationalize the loss in an attempt to avoid the grief. Even if the loss makes sense, there's still going to be grief associated with it. Yeah. Yeah, I think with any of these, um, this is where we seek to be an empathetic witness to ourselves and to someone else. I mean, what's true is life in the, in the words of Anne Lamott, life gets lifey, mm-hmm. right? Like we will have loss and to learn to be just a kind witness to ourselves about that is um, so important to find our way through. One, one thing I would also say here is, and if it's your perception that you have contributed to the loss, so maybe mm-hmm. it was your vision to have a small business and then you made some choices that weren't helpful or good and actually contributed to the demise of the business, even if you contributed to it, that doesn't dismiss your grief. Um, it's almost like we feel like we, we have to earn the right to grieve Versus just saying, if there's a loss, even if I've contributed to it, I still get my grief in that loss. Yeah. Another one here is functional loss. Um, when our body in particular isn't doing what we had imagined it would do. You know, I was just with a friend recently who is noticing a slow decline in her ability to um, be as active as she wants. And it's a very slow growing illness that she's dealing with. But, you know, she said she woke up one morning and realized I, I couldn't keep up um, with the group that I was with yesterday. I couldn't keep the same pace as everybody else and realizing this is, this is progressing. There is functional loss in that way when um, even if for a season, like we have a broken leg or we're recovering from a long illness to, to rather than to berate our body because it's not doing what we want it to do. Um, we acknowledge this 
at least for this season, however long it is, and maybe it's ongoing, this is a loss. I, I would also say um, the loss of quick recovery physically, that when we are younger, I mean, you, you <laughs> fall down, you get a scratch, you get a, a, an illness, the, the recovery is so much um, easier or quicker, you know, depending upon the rest of the aspects of your health. But as we age, we fall down and there are greater consequences and the recovery takes longer. We get sick and we don't find our energy coming back as quickly as yeah. it once did. So even recognizing that the return, one, may not be complete. We may never get back to where we were. And even if we do, it's going to take much long, longer to get there. And in the meantime, there's a loss that we're experiencing as we're not able to participate in life the way that we would like. Exactly. Yeah. Take it from me. It's called aging, Greg. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Every, Unfortunately, every morning, we're really familiar with that. It's a little more challenging every day getting out of bed to uh, get ready for work. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's a great point that aging is a representation of a loss. And so therefore, even aging brings grief that needs to be acknowledged. And I can be grateful for my age. I can be anticipating what is next. And I can be grieving the cost that aging is bringing to me and my limitations that come with that. Yeah, mm -hmm. great point. Another one here is material loss. And again, this is a place that I think we want to should on ourselves, um, that we should be grateful for what we do have. But what's also true is that when something material is lost um, that had meaning for us, that will be challenging. So maybe it's a house that we even chose to sell, but we had a lot of um, important memories, say with our younger children in that home. Maybe our, a car was um, messed up in an accident and unable to you know, be fixed back the way that it would be drivable. Um, like something like that is such a good example because we want to at least it, mm -hmm. you know, well, at least everybody's mm -hmm. okay. And of course right. we're thankful if that's the truth. What's also true though, is um, I think it's so good mm -hmm. to get curious if there's lingering sadness about that. Like, well, what did that car represent? Maybe that was, my first car that I purchased on my own without the help of anybody. Um, maybe I have, I had a lot of good road trips in that car, um, you know, things like that. Maybe it's something that was lost. Um, we lost a, a memorable piece of jewelry that belonged to a grandmother. Maybe um, in something like a fire or a flood, there are things that are damaged. Um, maybe something we really invested a lot of work in, say. Um, again, those things are worth acknowledging that there is um, grief behind that loss. When, one thing can, that can become complicated is material possessions are associated with life. And so what can happen is a parent dies. And so then the siblings begin to divide the um, objects that are left. And it can become complicated if there is a particular object that is of value to several. Well, 
you can't separate it. So somebody's going to get it and somebody's mm-hmm. not going to get it. And even to be able to acknowledge the grief that is now associated with not just the fact that my um, parent died, but this thing that had meaning for me, I'm not able to get. Um, and it's interesting, even within family systems, what are the things that people argue about or want or mm-hmm. you know represent? And um, just allowing yourself to say, this is a part of the grief if some of these material objects aren't coming my way because it's, you know, they're left to somebody else or the decision was made that somebody else was going to get them. Um, I've heard those stories of where if we're not careful and we don't allow ourselves to grieve, the grief can turn into hostility and anger and conflict. And it really is displaced. It's not about the object. It can be about other things, but grieving well can help us get clear about what it is about and what it's not about. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. true. I I remember when mom died, um, kind of the the jewelry that she had was dumped out on a bed and all of the women were able to gather and go through it. And the reality is there really wasn't anything of significant financial value. And it was very meaningful for me as the women who knew mom and associated with mom, related to mom, were able to just go through and pick out something that was they thought was pretty or fun or whatever the mm-hmm. language that they would use. But there's a great way to be able to do that where I can take a material possession and it can represent the loss that I have experienced that is greater. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, number six here is a role loss. And this is significant for us because maybe it's in our profession where um maybe we get promoted and we miss some things from the other job or there's a demotion that happens and we really liked some of the parts of that other role. Maybe it's in um, the way that we're relating to our children as they grow. I mean, certainly like our role, Greg, with our boys who are 29 and 25 now is very different than when they were nine and five. Mm -hmm. And you know, it, it it really is just so validating and helpful to pause and acknowledge, um, I miss that, or that's a loss. And we can even really love the way we interact with our adult children and who they are and the new things that that's brought us while still missing that role. This is one of those places that I've I've heard lots of people tell me, I didn't even realize this was a loss because I chose to leave a job. Mm -hmm. I resigned that job. I went to a different job and yet it's still a loss. A a great example of this is retiring where many people really look forward to retiring. They plan for it. They anticipate it and they're grateful for it. But there's also a significant loss of the role. And it could simply be the role of being in the workforce. It could be a career that you have had for years, but just to be able to acknowledge the loss that you're experiencing when you do retire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This next one is, um, it really piggybacks on that. It's the loss of transition. And this is when we are transitioning. Again, it may be something we've chosen but we're losing what was familiar. 
So for example, when you and I decided we wanted to try urban living and we left the suburbs, what's true is we love where we live now. We love our place. We love how close we are to Lake Michigan, you know, all of those things. And it was still a loss to transition from having lived someplace for 18 years, how we could just get in the car and drive and know exactly where we were going. The friends of 18 years that lived right around the corner and the proximity of that. Um, this, this took me a, a little bit to really align myself to it because we chose to move, mm-hmm. right? And it was still a transition that um, had loss embedded in it. Well, and the longer a transition goes on, or the, the season of transition, the more loss there is in it. Sometimes in a transition, we can feel lost. And so there can be this sense of loss of direction, loss of purpose, um, loss of familiarity. And so if we're in a long, tra- you know, it can, can be that expectation piece of, I just thought we would be settled by now, or I thought yeah. we would have things figured out by now. And so even not having things figured out is a form of loss. Mm-hmm. This this next one um, is called ambiguous loss. And I really um, want to credit here Dr. Pauline Boss, who's written a great book called Ambiguous Loss, Learning to Live with Unresolved Grief. And the way she defines ambiguous loss is a, a loss that is very likely unable to be resolved. And she talks specifically about two different kinds of loss in that way. One is where we physically lose someone or something. So when we, like say, for example, uh, soldiers who are missing in action, um, victims of 9-11 is one of the examples that she gives where we're unable to connect with a person's body who has died. Um, there is a physical uh, loss of that person. They're, they're missing. But also there is figurative loss. And she talks specifically about um, maybe a friend who has ghosted us, just, you know, a relationship that's ended. And there's no sense of resolve to that. She talks about this idea of when we are in relationship with a loved one who has dementia uh, or Alzheimer's, that is an ongoing, unresolved loss. And physically, yes, they're in front of us, but figuratively, we're unable to have a conversation about what's being lost. You know, when when I um, witnessed my mom's Alzheimer's for 12 years, they're really like at the very beginning, we could have some conversations about her fear of what was coming. But as the disease progressed, there was no longer the capacity to have a conversation about um, how sad we were that we, you know, each time I was with her, more of her was gone. Was gone. And Mm -hmm. so this um, ambiguous loss is really good for us to name where there isn't a way to resolve the loss. Well, I remember having conversations about Alzheimer's and dementia. And one of the things that you mentioned was typically when the patient loses ground, they never gain it back. 
And so even recognizing that the hope that they could return, the hope that we could have a glimpse of their old self or momentarily have a conversation like we used to, to be able to just grieve that that isn't possible, that the the progression is going to be going primarily and almost exclusively in one direction. And so the losses just continue to build over time as they are literally moving further and further away from us, even though they are physically right in front of us. Yeah. And I, I want to acknowledge that by by this very definition of ambiguous loss, that for whatever reason, we're not able to have closure with that person that is lost or that we are losing. It doesn't mean we can't do that work ourselves to find closure. And I, I think what's so wise about what she has named here is giving us a framework to understand, oh, this is an additional layer of what's so painful about this. I can't right. have that conversation with this person. Right. Yeah. Um, so two more here. Um, number nine is corporate or communal loss. And this is where as a community, um, we share in the grief with one another of maybe a beloved person who's died. Um, I would say that's we here at Faithful and True, we certainly yeah. experienced that when mm-hmm. we lost. Mark Laser. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Right. And that was a communal loss for the staff, for the Faithful and True community at large. We experience communal or corporate loss when there's a tornado that moves through a community or a hurricane or there's a school shooting, for example. Um, The type of loss that affects a large group of people and we're all kind of, you know, looking at each other like, wow, what do we do now? Right. Like we're all feeling that depth of loss simultaneously. And I I think what's can be an assumption is the fact that we've all experienced it will bring us together in our grief. The reality though is I still have to choose to move towards my grief. I can't just assume that my grief will be accessible if I'm in the community. So grief is still personal, even if it's happening in a communal space, and I still have to be willing to name it. The difference, though, is if I do name it, I have people that I can take it to that are experiencing it the same way that I'm experiencing it. Mm -hmm. And communal grief unacknowledged, I think, actually can be very isolating because it appears like everyone else is connecting. They get it. But you're on the outside, not fully a part of the grief experience itself. Yeah, I I think you're right. There's there's the you know, the two parts of it, of naming what we've lost together and doing our own work individually to allow ourselves the space and the time to feel that loss, you know? Mm -hmm. I remember, Greg, one of the um, hurricanes that came through when you and I lived in eastern North Carolina, power was out for days and the only gas stove around was at the church where you were on staff. And so several of us took what was melting in our freezer and met at the church and cooked everything that was melting right on, on that huge gas stove. 
And, you know, there was something about that of, I mean, the trees were down everywhere. All kinds of chaos was ensuing. But there was something about coming together mm-hmm. in in that sense of community. And um, same thing, like when it's a, a beloved person coming together to share stories, um, like there, there's something about the the connection that can happen if we move towards one another in those losses. When, one other thing I would identify is for people who are a part of a church community, you can experience a communal loss in the context of the community itself. It could be, it could be the physical loss of a staff member who dies, or it could be the transition of a staff member or a, a leader in the community. Um, it could be the, the um, dissolving of the congregation itself and the decision to close doors. But there can be a variety of different ways that it shows up in any community that we are in. The key, again, is if a transition is going on in a church or there's been a loss in a church, that we are willing to acknowledge that and move towards our grief in that. Mm-hmm. You know, one quick additional thing I would say here This is a place that is ripe for judgment because if we're in community and we're all experiencing a similar loss, what what can easily surface is I can have judgments about how you should be grieving or Mm -hmm. someone can judge me for how I should be experiencing or expressing my grief. Or I could be judging myself. Compared to other people, I'm not grieving like them. So my grief is not valid or it's not enough or it's too much. Yeah. And I think this is a place where we can love each other well with oceans of grace. How you are experiencing this may be differently. How you're expressing it may be differently, right, than how I might be as well. And this is a great place to distinguish there's a difference between experiencing and expressing grief and stuffing grief. And yeah. so someone may be saying, well, I'm just grieving differently, but the reality is they're not grieving. <laughs> they're, they're not stuffing. grieving at all. Right, right, right. And so you may be able to say, my, I'm not, my grief isn't accessible or I'm not quite sure how to grieve. That's very different than the person who's stuffing their grief and calling it grief. Right. And chances are one of the, I know I mentioned this earlier, but one of the real um, ways to know that we're stuffing our grief is that it's leaking out sideways, mm-hmm. right? And um, we're, again, we're snarky or we're snappy or we're passive aggressive or we're maybe super anxious. I mean, it, it shows up in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm so glad that you named that. There's, there's one more here that I would name, and I, I'm sure this is not an exhaustive list. So for our listeners, I just want to say I hope these are helpful, but this is not all of the kinds of loss. But this last one is what is called compounded or cumulative grief. And this is where either one loss incorporates many of these various kinds or We've had a loss, and before we can recover from that one, it's like the hits keep coming. Mm -hmm. One of the Mm -hmm. examples that I thought of about this one is a divorce. So with a divorce, there would be a loss of relationship. There would be a role loss, no longer husband or wife to that person. 
there would often be material loss. There's all kinds of financial changes. People have to often move out of their home in a divorce. And then, of course, there's a transition. I mean, that's just one example of four different kinds of loss that occur when a divorce um, happens. And it's, it's just so important that we see ourselves, we validate, um, and, and we learn to say things like, wow, this is a lot. I, I see you. I mean, we say those things to ourselves mm. that can be so helpful. Or we say that to a friend. I see you. I see how you are holding up under the weight of so many different kinds of loss here. And, you know, when someone says those kinds of things to us, we feel so seen. Right. Right. We feel so known, like, thank you. You you really get this. And so um, understandably, cumulative or compound loss is really significant and heavy. And I think that... Um when we think of like a, a natural disaster where it's so many different losses, it's the loss of normalcy. It may be the loss of a building, a school, a church. Um, it can be just the loss of your ability to function in a routine, but there can be a variety of different ways that a loss can show up, especially if it's a, a large geographic loss that a lot of people are going through. And in the example of the divorce that you mentioned, one of the things that I thought of was the loss of relationship. So, you know, we have so many jokes about in-laws, but there are those people who genuinely enjoy their in-laws. Mm-hmm. And when there is a divorce, <laughs> yes. they, they may not lose contact with their in-laws because they have some context of relationship, but they do lose the way that it functioned prior to the divorce. Yeah. Um, for parents who are divorced and it they lose regularity with their children. They're not there all the time. They now navigate custody. And so even if the custody goes well, even if the parents are working together to provide a, a safe and familiar environment for the children, the parents still don't have access to the children like they did prior to the divorce. Yeah. And again, it's important that we don't minimize it and go, well, it's going as well as it could we can validate that it's going well and still acknowledge the grief mm-hmm. and the loss that we're experiencing. Right. Well, I, I hope that for our listeners, this has been a helpful tool. Um, and it's not that we want to wallow in our losses. If anything, learning to name them gives us some traction for actually mm-hmm. moving through them rather than feeling stuck and kind of, wondering why do I feel so heavy? So um, hopefully this has been validating. Right. And you've, you've kind of mentioned the idea of when we are, are not grieving well, we're leaking, you know, we're snarky or sarcastic or bitter. What's also true is when we are grieving well, we are moving forward. You know, that's yeah. one of the ways that, you know, we can know that we're grieving well is we're moving towards, we're moving through, we're moving beyond. And so just the, the progression that grief gives us um, helps us to recognize that we can acknowledge the loss and we don't have to be defined by the loss. We don't have to be consumed by the loss. Right. Well, well Beth, thanks we for wanna... making time to be with us. 
Yeah, oh, as you. I was going to say, uh, it's been great to have you with us today. This is such uh, an important topic. And uh, once again, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, Beth is the author of this fantastic book that's called What Loss Can Teach Us. And the book is available uh, where we are putting a link below, below the podcast here. If you click on the link, it will take you, uh, give you the opportunity to offer this fine book uh, to uh, order it is what I meant to say. Um, but Beth, thanks again for being with Greg and myself thanks today. Thanks for the invite. Always, always great to have you on the Faithful and True podcast. Greg, as always, uh, glad that you are here. Greg is here in town uh, because we have the Men's Journey Workshop uh, beginning tomorrow morning. And uh, so uh, we again celebrate the opportunity to do that. Uh, if you're a man that is out there and is struggling with sexual addiction or pornography addiction or any unwanted sexual behaviors, we invite you to visit faithfulandtrue.com and read about the many resources that we have available. We also have uh, over 400 of these podcasts that are all free and offer uh, to, to you to watch or listen. We have some are audio uh, of the uh, older ones. And then uh, more recently, we have created the Faithful and True YouTube channel where you can watch as well. So uh, check out the workshops. We have the men's workshop that we offer every month. We have the women's journey workshop. We also have the couple's journey workshop. All the information and opportunities to register for those events are on our website. Until we join you again, we thank you for being with us today. We hope that this coming week will be a week for you that's filled with many blessings and with great vision.